So here we go, a series about politics, Jesus, and us. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking the same thing that I used to think. You're thinking, well, you shouldn't talk about politics in church. You just, you just can't go there when you're in a church setting. Now, in my experience through the years, I've begun to understand what people are really saying when they say this. Because when people say, hey, you shouldn't talk about politics at church, that sounds pretty impressive. But what they're really saying, what they're really getting at, if you translate this, is you shouldn't talk about politics if it conflicts with my brand of politics. However, preacher man, if what you're about to say is something that I agree with, then go right ahead because people need to hear it, I tell you. They need to hear it. The world needs more of this stuff. If we agree, then we're all for it. If we're not something that we, you know, we can line up with, we're like, nah, you probably shouldn't go there. To be honest, this series that we're getting ready to do, Donkeys, Elephants, and Jesus, what this series is truly about is how Jesus followers, how Christians should respond and react and live life in this political landscape that we have. Now, let me be clear, really clear. Listen up. We're not going to try to convince anybody to take a side. We're not going to try to convince anyone to choose a specific candidate. What we're going to try to do is see the bigger picture. The bigger picture and understand what it looks like to follow Jesus' example. That's why we said donkeys, elephants, and Jesus, because what Jesus brings to the scene here makes all the difference in the world. Now, here's the truth. All systems of government, every single one of them, are broken, primarily because all systems of government are run by broken people. All systems of government are flawed because they are run by flawed human beings, which is all of us. I think what Winston Churchill said is very appropriate. Democracy, which is our form of government, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the other forms. And so what he's getting at there, too, is that, hey, listen, democracy, in our opinion, may be the best option of a lot of broken options, a lot of flawed options. Now, can we make our government better? Yes. Should we try? Yes, absolutely. But I think all of us would agree that it's pretty much a mess. Why is it a mess? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I want to suggest five. Your five may be different than my five, and maybe these five just scratch the surface, but I think this hits pretty close to the heart of what's creating this mess as we kick off this political series. First of all, when it comes to politics, we've elevated it to the level of faith, and that's created a mess. Politics has been elevated to the level of faith itself. And what I mean by that is that people seem to get more vocal and upset and uptight and unwound over politics than almost anything else. It's like they hold their political thoughts and views and opinions at the same level as their faith. You see it in social media. 
We see it. I see it. When I get emails, you know, and I think this and I think that, and maybe you see the emails. You know, people get so angry and they argue and they accuse and they assume when it comes to politics. And yet, at the same time, they neglect the things that truly matter most, like how we treat each other. We seem to forget that because we have a political point to make and we want to make sure that we make it clear where we stand and where do you stand and this is where I stand and we forget that in the crosshairs of all of this people are being mistreated yeah we, we elevate politics to the level of faith and that creates a mess here's the second thing is that the extremes have a tendency to control the narrative in the political landscape that we have, at least, and I think that's pretty common. The extremes control the narrative, and when the extremes control the narrative, you end up with a big old mess. You got the far right, and you got the far left. You got Fox News, and you got CNN, and they're saying one thing, and they're saying another thing. And they're saying that they're saying that they're saying that they're wrong. And on and on and on we go. And I just wonder, and maybe you've wondered, and I think we all need to wonder, where's the voice, where's the viewpoint from the middle? Where's the voice and the viewpoint of reasonability, of reality? Because to be quite honest, real life happens somewhere in the middle of the extremes. People love to argue from extremes, and we're going to talk about extremes in this series. But people like to argue from extremes, but they are forced to live life in the middle. And what we'll find, and this may surprise you, is that we will also find Jesus somewhere in the middle of the extremes. That's where Jesus lived. That's where Jesus did his work. That's where Jesus made his greatest impact, is in the middle of the extremes. Now, some of you immediately, when I, when I say the word middle, you think moderate. Don't do that. That's not what we're talking about, and we'll explain more of this later. I just want to make the point right up front, is that when the extremes control the narrative, you got a mess. Number three, we're in a mess because people have been reduced to a policy. People have been reduced to policies and issues, right? Everybody's got their stance on, on a policy, and this is what I think about this policy, and this is what I agree with this policy, and what's their policy on that? I agree, I disagree, and we, we line up according to policies wherever, and we forget that behind all these policies are real people, real people who are affected, now you've got your mind made up about this because of what Fox News said or what CNN said, and you've got your mind made up about this or that over there. But behind all of these viewpoints and policies and issues are real people like you and me that Jesus loves just as much as he loves you and me, who Jesus died for, just like he died for you and me. And that gets lost. We seem to forget this. We are so much more than just an idea or a policy or an issue. People are more than even what they believe. People are more than their beliefs. They are more than the policies that they line up with. You know why? 
We know that's true. Because over time, people change and people mature and people, they change what they think about things and where they stand with certain policies. I know through the years, I, I've certainly have changed. I, I don't necessarily think everything about everything that I used to think about those things. As I've gotten older and learned more and grown and matured and changed and God's done work in my own heart and life, I see things a little differently than I used to. And I think if you're honest, you would be the same. So, you see, people are not just defined by what they believe. People are not just defined. Now, what you believe is important. The policies have their place. But you cannot, you cannot just boil people down to the policy that they hold. When people are reduced to a policy, you've got a mess. Number four, people are just so stinking easily offended nowadays. You notice that? Just so easily offended. And often, especially Christians, so stinking, easily upset and offended by just the little, smallest things. And I'm not talking about people being offended just when someone is unkind to them. That's understandable. I'm talking about when people are offended when people just disagree with them or present the opposite viewpoint or an opposite side or a different way of thinking. Or a different stance on the same issue or the same policy. People are suddenly offended. When someone disagrees with them, hey, you know what? That offends me. That offends me. I'm offended by that. And all that's happened is someone has presented a different idea or a different viewpoint or a different side of things than they personally hold. I mean, that's a mess. I mean, if you're the kind of person that just gets offended... When people disagree with you or when you get offended just because people disagree with you, then do yourself and all of us a favor. Don't get married, uh, don't have kids, and uh, don't have relationships with anybody. Because here's the deal. <laughs> we are all different, and we are going to disagree from time to time. What we need to do is stop being so easily offended and learn what it means to sometimes we have to agree to disagree without being disagreeable and without being devastated. Yeah, that's a mess when people are so easily offended. And one more, and this is probably, to me, the thing that I think contributes to the biggest part of the mess. We'll spend a little bit more time here, is that we confuse our rights with responsibility. We, meaning people like me and you, people who live in America, confuse our rights with responsibility. Everyone talks about their rights. Everyone wants to talk about, hey, this is my right, and that's my right, and you don't infringe upon my rights, and I've got the right to do this, and I've got the right to do that. But here's what you need to understand. What we call rights truly are, deep down, responsibilities. What people call rights really are responsibilities. And here's the truth. Rights are really about you. Responsibilities are about others. When you hear someone talking about rights, you just, just listen to the personal pronouns. My rights, my rights, my rights. Sometimes they say our rights, but when they say our rights, they almost always still mean my rights. I have the right to do this, and this is my right. 
Rights almost always are a you-focused thing, but responsibilities. Open up your thinking and open up your mind and open up your understanding to wait. I have a responsibility to those around me. And every single right carries with it a responsibility to others. In fact, you can say it like this. Every right really is an ability that you have that carries with it a responsibility to those around you. Let me give you three quick examples. One of the most common rights that people like to talk about and protest about and get all upset and uptight about is the right to free speech, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. I have the right to free speech, but here's the deal. Even though you have the right to free speech, doesn't mean that you still don't have a responsibility that governs how you freely say whatever it is you freely say. In other words, you can't just say whatever you want to say, whenever you want to say it, to whomever you want to say it to. There's a responsibility that comes with the freedom of speech. Yeah, you talk about your rights. I have the right to say what I want to say, but you have to be responsible with what comes out of your mouth. Especially, and we'll get to this in a minute, if you're a Christian. Let me give you a second example. When it comes to the issue of abortion, we talk about a woman's right to choose. Okay? When you talk about the woman's right to choose, you must also talk about the responsibility that that woman has for the life within her. The life that she carries. When you talk about, I have a right to choose what to do with my body that I want to do. I can do anything I want to do with my body. I have the right to choose what I want to do with my body. That comes with a responsibility to care for the body inside your body, the life inside your life, which we know is a gift from God. See, when you talk about rights, that's an ability that carries with it a responsibility. The rights, well, that's all about you. That's all about me. But responsibility is about others. Let me give you one more. Boy, this is a hot topic. When you talk about the possession of guns, the right that the Second Amendment affords us to bear arms carries a responsibility, a huge responsibility, to not do unjust harm to others, to not be reckless. With that right comes a very important responsibility. And to be quite honest, that's what causes the mess. It's when we get focused on a right that we have, but we neglect the responsibility. And here's the thing you need to watch out for, especially Christians. Listen, when you start attaching the phrase God-given to your rights, I hear people say this all the time, and they get all upset and hot and bothered over an issue. They say, well, I have a God-given right. I have a God-given right. And then they fill in the blank. Isn't it interesting that when you're being defensive over a right that you have, it suddenly becomes a God-given right, as if that adds more weight to it, and people just go, whoa, you know. People typically only use that when they're trying to blow off their opposition and get people on the other side to back down. I have a God-given right for this. I have a God-given right. Here's the deal. The better focus 
What I want to challenge you to focus on, instead of your God-given right, is your God-given responsibility. Because as a Christ follower, as we will soon see in the next few moments, as a Christ follower, you have a responsibility that is truly given by God. That should dictate how you approach this whole idea and this whole reality of your rights as an American. Because the truth is, just because something is a right, doesn't make it right. Just because something is considered a right for you to do it, doesn't mean it's right for you to do it. In other words, just because something is legal, doesn't mean it's moral or honoring to God. And you and I need to learn the difference, discover the difference, and wrestle with the tension the difference. Don't confuse your American rights with your Christian responsibilities because when you do, it's another thing that creates this big old mess. So what do we do about this mess? What's the answer? I believe we're going to find the answer looking to the words of the Apostle Paul who wrote in the New Testament in the first century to a group of followers of Jesus in the city of Colossae, which, by the way, found itself also in a very politically charged environment, very much like today. Now, the details were different, but still, their experience was very similar to our experience in that finger-pointing and positioning for power and different sides and all these labels and categories people were making for themselves. And Paul wrote to clearly help them understand how to think and how to live. So let's see what he said to them, which is just as applicable to us today. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. That's where your focus should be, the realities of heaven. Now, he's not just saying, you know, focus on heaven like where is heaven and when am I going to go to heaven and what is heaven like? No, no, no. The realities of heaven in terms of the way of heaven, the way of the kingdom of God, specifically the way of Jesus. Since you're a follower of Jesus that's been raised, to use that resurrection imagery, raised to new life with Christ, and now you identify with him, and calling ourselves Christians means we identify with him, then that's where your focus should be, on the ways of heaven, the ways of Christ. Because for You've died to this life. You don't take your cue from this life and this world and just the way things are in this society. No, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your true life, the essence of who you really are now, is determined and dictated even by the fact that you are connected to Christ. And then he goes on. So in this new life, this new life you have with Christ as a Christian, it doesn't matter. If you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. He just listed all the major categories and dealt with all the major labels that they had back then. You know, they're Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, all those kind of labels that we have today. For them, this is what the labels looked like back then. And he just listed them all and said none of those things matter. In fact, Christ is all that matters. 
Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. This was like a major mic drop moment when he said, you need to understand that all of those labels that you've put on yourselves and that people put on you and the categories that you create for yourselves on this side of the aisle and that side of the political aisle in society, none of those things matter in comparison to Christ. These were social categories. These were political categories. These were even spiritual categories. And he just kind of throws down here, Christ is all that matters. And then he goes on. So... Let the message about Christ, which is all that matters. And when he means message, he doesn't mean, when he says message, he doesn't mean the information about Christ. What he's talking about here is the way of Christ, the teachings of Christ. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. In other words, remind each other, encourage each other, help each other along the way. Stay focused on the fact that Christ is what this is all about. It's not about labels and categories and who said what and all that kind of stuff and who's on this side and who's on that side and who agrees with you and who doesn't agree with you. No, really, the focus here should be on the way of Christ and we as brothers and sisters in Christ should be reminding each other of that. And then whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. doesn't matter. At this point, whatever you're doing or whatever you're saying, understand, you are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. So whatever you do and whatever you say, make sure you remember that, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Regardless of what label is put on you, what category you're in, what political side you have chosen to be on, understand that over all of that and before all of that and beyond all of that, regardless of what you're saying or what you're doing, understand whatever you say and whatever you do, you, because you call yourself a Christian, represent Jesus in everything you say, in everything you do, even in the way you vote. I think what Paul was getting at is something we desperately need to understand is, is that you and I are Christians first and most. We're Christians first and most. And everything, absolutely everything should take its cue from that, our connection to Christ. Everything should be dictated and determined by that and run through that filter. Everything, even the way we approach politics. Yeah, even the way we vote. So before you're a Democrat, you're a Christian. Before you're a Republican, you're a Christian. Before you are whatever you say you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are first and foremost a Christian and everything else should be determined by the way of Jesus. Now I want you to listen to what I'm getting ready to say. I'm getting ready to make a big statement, but before I do, I want to preface it with this so that nobody misunderstands what I'm saying and misunderstands my heart in this. I love America. I am proud to be an American. I am grateful for this country, and I am thankful for the men and women who have sacrificed so much to make this country what it is. I love America. But you know what this means? This, this reality that we are Christians first and most, it means that we are Christians even before we are Americans. 
Let that sink in. See, that's revolutionary for a lot of people, even in church, because somehow along the way we've gotten this idea that the word American is equal to the word Christian, that those are on the same level and the same playing field. And what it means to be an American is pretty much the same thing as what it means to be a Christian. And what it means to be a Christian is pretty much what it means to be an American. Now, here's the deal. There may have been a time in history past when the definitions and the meanings and the realities of those two words were closer than they are now. But I think you would agree with me that they have never been farther apart than they are now. There have never been a bigger difference between what it means to be a good American and what it means to be a good or a faithful follower of Jesus, a Christian. So when there is a tension created between those two, we must remember that ultimately, as followers of Jesus, our citizenship ultimately is way beyond the United States of America. Our citizenship is in heaven, specifically the kingdom of God. What Jesus said was not of this world anyway. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And our citizenship as followers of Jesus ultimately is not just in the United States of America. It is in the kingdom of God. Which means Jesus is our Lord. And he is our first leader. He is our king and our allegiance must be to him first and most over all things. That's what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Interestingly enough, in the first century, the phrase Jesus is Lord was not just a spiritual statement. It was very political because Caesar claimed to be Lord. And people would often say at Caesar's command, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. So in the first century, when Christians would proclaim Jesus of Nazareth is Lord, by default, what they were saying, without saying it, they were clearly saying Caesar is not. That was political, and that's what got a lot of them killed back then. I believe it's just as political today. The reality that our allegiance is first and most to Jesus. And here's the thing that a lot of us forget. Go back in your history books and look at this. You'll see that the first Americans, the first group of people to come to this country, they knew this. They believed this, that they were Christians first and most. And that's what motivated them to come here. That's why they came here. So they could live out that reality. They knew that their allegiance was first and most to the king of kings over simply an earthly king. Now, as followers of Jesus, and we'll get into this in this series, he has a lot to say to us about how we are to respond to our earthly leaders. But we all mu always must keep in mind that first and foremost, our allegiance is to him, not them. Regardless of what label or category that they have put themselves in and they've put on you, or maybe that you've put on yourself. Or another way to look at it is that anytime there's a tension between your American rights and your Christian responsibilities, your American rights must always, always, always yield and give to Christian responsibilities. Or you could say it like this. When there is a conflict, and there's not always going to be a conflict, but sometimes there will be a conflict between my rights as an American 
And my responsibility as a Christian, I must follow Christ. When there's a tension, when there's a conflict. Let's go back to that one example that when, when I want to say something, and I have a right as an American, as a true-blooded American, to say it, because I have the freedom of speech. That is my right to say what it is I want to say, what I feel like needs to be said when I have that right. And yet, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I remember that I've been taught to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry and slow to spew off what I think and feel out of my mouth then I have to make a choice. Do I exercise my right to say whatever, whenever, to whomever? Or do I remember I'm a follower of Jesus and in everything I do and say, I represent Christ. Yeah, I'm a Christian first and most. And when my American right conflicts with my Christian responsibility, I must, I must and we must follow Christ. In fact, to be really clear, in following Christ, that means we must do as Christ did. And Jesus gave up his rights willingly. Let's spend the last few moments together looking at exactly what he did. Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2 that we should have the same mindset, the same kind of thinking. Because how you think determines how you live. Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. What mindset was that? Well, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He was God, and he didn't use the fact that he was God to his own advantage. He had a lot of rights as God, but he didn't live his life claiming his rights as God, saying, well, I'm God, and I can't. Well, I'm God, and I won't, and you can't talk to me, and you can't treat me because I'm God, and I have a right because I'm God. No, he, he didn't live that way. Instead, what did he do? He made himself nothing. He gave up his rights. He laid them aside, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And we are told to think that way and to live that way. And that, my friends, is where hope is. In the middle of this messy political world that we live in, our hope is not found in a political party. Our hope is not found in a system of government. Our hope is found in a person, Jesus. And the fact that his followers, those that claim his name and represent his way, will be his hands and feet and his voice in a world that is so messy and often messed up. That is the way forward. That is how we find clarity in that. Ultimately, is how we will make things better. If just Christians got this right, can you imagine? I mean, if just the Christians, instead of, you know, getting all upset and all torn up about, you know, what they said and what I believe and what you believe and we're different and we can't and we're against you and you're against us and all that, if we would just take the ways of Jesus and live them out, imagine the change that would truly come to pass. So as we get ready to vote in the next few weeks, as we get ready to walk through this icky-sticky political landscape, we must remember that we are first and most children of the King of Kings. We are Christians. 
followers of Jesus and everything, everything, Democrat, Republican, or whatever, should take its cue and must take its cue from that. And next week, we'll talk about the agenda that that brings about because there is one and you and I need to know it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. This is clear. We are Christians first and most. This is clear that when there is a conflict between what we have rights to do as Americans and what we have been called to do responsibly as Christians, we must follow you. We must follow Christ. That's going to create some very tense conversations and some challenging decisions. But Father, we believe you will strengthen us to walk through those things and you will guide us through the power of your Spirit May we remember to lay aside all rhetoric, to hold policies at arm's length and not get sucked into the vortex of the political scene that we see. And may we remember that first and foremost, we are followers of Jesus. Amen.